the 61st Psalm. I have one announcement. Amen. Wednesday night for our Wednesday night service, we're going to be taking communion. be the last service here for the new year. Amen. Before the new year. Last service of this year. So we're going to gather together for communion Wednesday night. Amen. Take the time in between now and then to just spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Search your heart. Amen. I want to have everything right. I want to stand in the presence of God and partake of the his blood and his body. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 61. I'm going to read the first two scriptures. The psalmist says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. That is higher than high. Lead me to the rock. That is higher than high. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. Thank you for your goodness and your anointing. I thank you for the presence of God that is so rich in this place today. And I'm asking, Lord, that as we get into the Word of God, Lord, the very most important thing that will happen this weekend is about to happen right now, Lord. As the Word of God uh, is communicated in this place, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, let it touch our hearts. Uh, let it change our lives, Lord, uh, that we would never be the same again. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for a few moments from this title. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. Jehoshaphat came to the throne of Judah in the aftermath of a season of war and conflict. It was a trying time for the people, but Jehoshaphat was a righteous king. And he turned his heart and his nation towards God. His reign began with a season of national repentance. He led his people away from the groves and the high places where false gods were worshipped, and he led them back to the law of God as the true standard for living. He set the tone for his 25-year reign when he turned his heart immediately towards God and said, we're going to honor God if we don't do anything else. Uh, we're going to bless God. Uh, we're going to reestablish the law. He set up a, a traveling school of teachers that would go about the land and teach uh, the law of God so that the people could hear and understand what thus saith the Lord. And in his reign, the nation of Judah was blessed. But the reign of Jehoshaphat was not without times of crisis and trouble. Some folks mistakenly get the idea that if I serve God or if I'm faithful to God, if I, if I give my life to God, if I go to church and I pay my tithes and, and I show up at Sunday school, then everything's always going to be okay. I'll never have to face uh, any kind of crisis in my life. Uh, I'll never have to go through any kind of hard times. The Lord will just protect me from all of that. But nothing could be further from the truth. The promise has never been that God would remove you from the ebb and flow of life. The promise has never been that the seasons will have no impact on you, that trial and tragedy will never touch your life. No, he promised that wherever you find yourself, 
that whatever you have to face, that whatever you find yourself going through, He will be there with you. He'll walk with you every step of the way. He'll face every valley with you. He'll carry you through every mountaintop. He will always be there in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the tragedy. Tragedy, if you'll turn your heart to Him, you'll always find Him there. King Jehoshaphat faced his greatest crisis in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The Bible tells us that three nations gathered together, forming a vast army, and they launched an invasion of Judah. And even worse than the fact that this mighty allied army of enemies was coming against Judah was the fact that Jehoshaphat never knew they were coming until they were almost upon him. The Bible tells us that scouts came racing to the king one day with the dreadful news. A a massive army, a great multitude from beyond the sea has marched against you. And right now, they're at the doorstep. They're just in the next little town over. They just defeated Ingadi, and they're coming to where you are. And the problem was that the enemy was more and mightier than any army that Jehoshaphat could ever raise. It was a three-nation conglomeration that was arrayed against Judah. Judah was just a small portion of the fragmented tribes of Israel composed of only two tribes. She couldn't field the army that even Israel could field. She didn't have the military might to overcome just one of these enemies that was marching against her, much less all three of them. And in an instant, Jehoshaphat was overwhelmed. There was no one to turn to for help. There were no allies to seek out to stand with him. There was nowhere to go for refuge, and there was no answer in sight anywhere. The situation was hopeless. Judah was about to be overpowered. It never ceases to amaze me how quickly life can change. How fast we can descend from the relative peace and security of our lives into those terrible, tragic moments when everything seems to fall apart. Just one phone call from a loved one in the middle of the night. Just one routine visit to the doctor. Just one moment of carelessness at work. Just one instant that didn't even seem to be all that important. And then, in an instant, all of a sudden, a crisis looms in our lives. We're like Jehoshaphat was in that moment when he realized the enemy is at the gate and I am thoroughly unprepared. My enemy has marched against me and I have nowhere to go and I do not know what to do. Sometimes life simply overwhelms us. Sometimes trouble overpowers us. Sometimes the crisis looms larger than we ever thought was possible, feeling the very horizon of our lives dominating everything. Our thoughts, 
our mind, our waking hours and our sleeping hours. Uh, everywhere we turn and everything we see reminds us that there's trouble and trial and tragedy. And in those moments, it seems as if our whole life has been consumed by trouble. According to one writer that I read recently, there are three kinds of people in this room today. There are those who have just come through an overwhelming crisis. Or there are those that are currently going through some type of terrible crisis. Or there are those who are just about to enter into the devastation of a crisis in your life. No matter where you fall, no matter where you end up on that spectrum today, you can mark my words. Your life will be marked by crisis, by trouble, by trial, and by tragedy. Storms will come and they will go and they come and go on their own schedule. They're, they're not convenient. They don't fit into your plans. They don't fit into your blueprint for your life. They come without regard for all of your carefully laid plans and all the things that you've reasoned out in your mind. Just when you think you've got it all under control just when you think you're the master of your destiny the storm is going to come time and circumstance happen to every man the scripture says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. It was the apostle Peter who admonished the church not to become dismayed when fiery trial comes upon you as if something strange was happening to you trouble and trial they're a part of the fabric of life. They happen to all of us from time to time. Some crisis is going to rise in your life. From time to time, some terrible thing is going to overcome you. And you're going to feel like Jehoshaphat felt. You'll feel overwhelmed. David, in the 61st Psalm, embodied what it feels like to be overwhelmed. We read it as our text. David said, hear my cry, O Lord. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry out to thee. That phrase, from the end of the earth, is a Hebrewism that refers not to a geographical location, but to a perceived distance from the presence of God. When David says that his heart is overwhelmed and he is crying out from the end of the earth, what he means is that he feels like there is a million miles between him and God. He feels as if there's some great distance between him and God. So often in our lives, it is the time of trouble when our heart is overwhelmed by chaos and crisis. It is those times that cause us to become aware of the fact that we've not been as faithful towards God as we meant to be. It's the tragedies that come into our lives that cause us to realize that we've allowed some distance to develop between us and God. Uh, we never meant for that to be the case. We, we were sincere in our devotion. We, we were sincere in our dedication to God. In our heart, we wanted to serve Him. In our heart, we wanted to walk in His blessings. We, we desired to live in the fellowship uh, of His presence, but life has a way of lulling us into a sense of complacency in our walk with God. 
when everything is going well, when life is easy, when it's smooth sailing and calm seas, we tend to forget that we can't do this on our own. We tend to get the misguided idea that somehow we can handle this and somehow we don't need to pray, that somehow we don't need to fast, and somehow we, we, we can take care of this. We're, we're in control of this. And slowly but surely we begin to drift away from our devotion to God. We begin to grow lukewarm in our passion towards God. You know that's happening when other things in your life become more important to you, become more pressing to you, become more immediate to you than your walk with God. And you slowly begin to move the things of God to the back burner in your life. They take second place uh, to other things that seem to be so much more important and so much more pressing right now. And our, our devotion to God seems to waver, not in times of trouble, not in times of trial and tragedy, but it's in the good times, in times of relative peace. And it is the crisis that serves to remind us of how much we really need God. It is that moment of complete and utter helplessness, that, that moment when our heart is overwhelmed, that moment when we realize that the enemy is at the gate that causes us to recognize the distance that has developed between us and God. That's when we realize that we're crying out to God from the end of the earth. Uh, that's when we realize uh, there's a great distance uh, between us and God. Uh, in Hebrew thought, the tabernacle was the center of the world, not geographically, but spiritually. Uh, the tabernacle was the center of it all, the house of God. Everything else in life revolved around the house of God. Uh, everything else in life uh, was secondary to the presence of God, to that place of worship uh, where carnal humanity meets holy deity and God touches my life. Uh, everything else was secondary secondary to that. In the Hebrew mind, to be at the end of the world, to, to, to have that location in your mind, the, the end of the world was the greatest possible distance you could get from the house of God. You know, it, it wasn't geographic. David could be in the city of David where, where the temple was but still be at the end of the world. There are people who sit in the house of God, hear God anointed preaching, uh, hear God anointed singing, uh, stand and lift their hands as other worship around them and in their heart, they're a million miles from God. From the end of the world, David said, I lift my voice and I cry. It's the crisis it's the trouble, it's the trial, it's the tragedy that causes me to realize uh, where I am spiritually, uh, that causes me to recognize uh, I'm not as close to God uh, as I thought I was. Right. 
Can't tell you how many times as a father I thought my child was right beside me. Uh, walking through the grocery store or, or through the woods or somewhere else and, and, and they're my charge and they're, I'm watching over them and they're, they're right there with me. Uh, only when I turn around, they're not there anymore. They, they've seen something, uh, something caught their eyes, some little thing got their attention and they wandered off and I realize uh, only when it's too late uh, that they're not where I thought they were. Sometimes we get so caught up uh, in living our lives uh, and everything that's going on. We think uh, that God's right there with us. Uh, we think that we know in our heart uh, we're not praying like we used to pray. We're not fasting like we used to fast. We're not building an altar like we used to build an altar, but we just assume uh, that he's right there with us. Uh, and it's when the trial comes. Uh, it's when the tragedy settles in uh, that we turn our heart towards heaven and we realize I'm not as close as I thought I was. I'm not as intimate with God as I, as I believed I was. Uh, when I begin to lift my voice uh, and I begin to pray, there's something in my spirit that rises up and says, uh, amen, there's, there's a coldness there where there ought to be a burning fire. Uh, there's something distant there where there ought to be a closeness. The Bible declares that he is the master of the wind. He controls the circumstances of my life. He, he doesn't hold back the storms. He doesn't hold back the trials and temptations of this life. He doesn't protect me from the crises that are going to come along. Instead, uh, he uses them uh, for his eternal purpose. Uh, he works through my trial. Uh, he works through my tragedy. He works through my crisis, uh, taking that which was intended for evil and turning it into something that is good. He takes that which was supposed to destroy me and instead he harnesses it and uses it for his purpose and for my good. And the storm reminds me of just how much I really need God. It's the storm that reminds me I can't do this thing on my own. It's the storm that reminds me I don't have the strength within myself. I don't have the ability in myself. I need God more than I need anything else. And ultimately the wind becomes a blessing instead of a curse. It's a theme that is echoed throughout the scripture out of terrible tragedy there emerges tremendous triumph out of seemingly horrible defeat uh, there arises incredible victory God takes betrayal and turns it into blessing uh, he takes debilitating sickness uh, and renders it into incredible healing uh, he takes death uh, and turns it into a testimony of the grace of God uh, over and over and over again the riddle rings true out of the eater comes meat. Out of the strong comes sweetness. Out of the bitter flows refreshing. The same storm that brings about the bad also serves to establish the good. The same tragedy that was intended to curse me under the guidance of the master becomes a blessing in my life. He works it all together for good. I have come to the conclusion that the feelings of inadequacy and brokenness that I feel when my heart is overwhelmed, 
that that is exactly where God wants me to be. I come to the conclusion Sometimes uh, the way to the church, sometimes uh, the way to the family, sometimes the the way to the economy, sometimes uh, the way to the troubles and trials, uh, sometimes the way to the things uh, that are bearing my life. uh, They cause me to bow over and feel inadequate and unable and absolutely incapable of matching the crisis uh, in my life. And I've come to the conclusion that that's exactly what God wants me to know. That's exactly where he wants me to be uh, because the storm causes me to recognize uh, how much I truly need the help of God. Uh, Without the storm, I might get the idea that I can do it on my own. Without the trouble, I might come to the conclusion uh, that I can do this thing without his help, uh, that I can make it through this life uh, on my own. But the storm reminds me I need him. I need his help. I need his blessing. I need his presence. So David, when he finds himself overwhelmed, I want you to notice what he prays. This is what David prays. Lead me to the rock. David's prayer was not just that the Lord would hear his cry and attend unto his prayer, but that God would lead him to the rock that is higher than I am. That's David's way of saying, God, before you fix my problem, uh, fix the distance uh, that has developed uh, between me and you. Uh, Lead me to the rock. Uh, Set my feet uh, upon that mountain uh, that is higher than I am. Before you deal with my crisis, uh, deal with the distance uh, that has developed uh, between me and you because the distance is a greater problem than the looming disaster in my life. Whether you heal the sickness or not, I've got to be right with you, God. Whether you deliver me from the storm or not, I've got to be right with you, God. Whether you bring me through the valley or not, I must be right with you, God. It's the distance that really matters. David recognized that the crisis that has driven him to cry out in despair has only served to highlight a much greater problem in his life. Uh, It is the distance that he has allowed to creep uh, between him and God uh, that is the real problem. Uh, It is the awkwardness that he feels in his soul uh, as he seeks God uh, in his crisis uh, with the knowledge uh, that he has not sought God uh, in the good times. It's the conviction that strikes deep into his heart as he realizes that he has somehow allowed himself to drift away from the rock that is his fortress and his strength. So David prays, lead me to the rock. He doesn't pray, save me from my enemy. He doesn't pray, deliver me from evil. He doesn't pray, turn away the storm. He says, lead me to the rock. Bring me closer to you, God. Bring me back into fellowship with you, God. Make my heart right with you. 
lead me back to that place. Lead me back to the rock. Lead me back to the presence of God. Lead me back to that place where my confidence flows from you. Lead me back to the rock. David said, I lost something in my life and I've got to get it back. Let the storm rage. Let the fierce wind blow. Let the trial and the trouble come. But take me to the rock. That's where my help is. That's where my strength comes from. Lead me to the rock. I love the way that David describes the rock. It is the rock that is higher than I am. There is a place of refuge and safety that soars above me and stands above all of my trouble and tragedy. The waves break against it. The storm does not affect it. It is that immovable rock that is higher than I am. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. He is that rock that is higher than I am. I can't even begin to comprehend him. I can't even begin to understand him. I can't even begin to know why I have to go through this valley but I know that I can trust him and he's the rock that towers over all of it. The Devil's Tower National Monument soars more than 1,200 feet above Wyoming's eastern plain. The top of the Devil's Tower is roughly a football field in size. And it offers a tremendous view of the surrounding country. That's the Devil's Tower on the slide behind me. But if you wish to stand on that treasured ground and see the view that it offers, you must first be willing to risk life and limb to free climb a sheer volcanic face is 867 feet from base to summit. Only 1%, 1 out of 100, who attempt the climb actually make it to the top. It is a height that can only be attained by a skilled and experienced mountain climber. Unless, of course, you parachute onto the top. On October the 1st, 1941, that's exactly what George Hopkins did. In response to a $50 bet, he parachuted from an airplane to the top of the tower. There was only one hitch in his plan. He planned to descend the tower by means of a rope that was also dropped from the same plane. But while George landed on the tower... The rope missed the tower, and George was not a mountain climber. It took the National Park Service, who had not been aware or forewarned of George's crazy plan, six days to figure out how to get him off the tower in the middle of a terrible, terrible winter storm. Finally, a couple of experienced climbers agreed to scale the heights at the first break in the winter weather and carry a rope up so George could rappel down 
off the mountain. David's problem was the opposite of George's problem. George needed help getting off the rock. But David said, I need help getting on the rock. Here's the thing, even though I can see it, even though I know it stands on the horizon of my faith, I cannot reach the top of that rock on my own. It is the rock that is higher than I am. It is the rock that is beyond my reach. It is the rock that is beyond my grasp. So David cries out to God, lead me to the rock. I need your help, God. I need your blessing, God. I need your direction for my life, God. I need to know where I go from here. I need to know what I do next. I need you to lead me to the rock I realize once again that I never should have forgotten in the first place that I desperately need you in my life lead me to the rock I can't get where I need to be on my own I can't get where I need to go on my own I can't navigate this valley by myself I need your help Lord I can't make it through this storm I need your help Lord I can't navigate this crisis I need your help Lord lead me to the rock lead me to the rock I need the divine wings of God to come down and get a hold of me and lift my soul from this valley to that everlasting mountaintop. I need the grace of God to come and get a hold of me and lift me above my trouble and my trial for just a moment and let me catch a glimpse of the panorama of the grace and the mercy of God in my life. Lead me. I need you, God. Lead me to the rock. That's the same kind of reaction that Jehoshaphat had in the face of looming defeat as the enemy was bearing down on him as he realized there's nowhere to turn there's no help coming from anywhere there's no allies that I can call upon I'm all by myself and I'm about to be overwhelmed Jehoshaphat organized a national day of prayer the entire population of Judah assembled at Jerusalem and begin to fast and pray and call out to God. The king himself, if you read the 20th chapter of Second Chronicles, the king himself prayed a beautiful prayer expressing God's might and power and the history of God's provision for his people. And then he recalled God's promise to come to the aid of his people if they would only humble themselves and seek his face. And he ended that iconic prayer with these words. We have no power against this great multitude that has come against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. I'm speaking to somebody in this place this evening. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what the next step is. Uh, amen. You're in a place where you feel almost as if you're overwhelmed. Uh, I'm asking you to lift up your eyes uh, and see your Lord uh, and see your deliverer uh, and see your redeemer. Uh, I'm asking you to pray a simple prayer. Uh, lead me to the rock. 
It's exactly what David meant when he said, lead me to the rock. He was saying, I have no power against the calamity that has overcome me. I have no ability to overcome the storm that is arrayed in my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what the next step should be. But my eyes are on you, Lord. Lead me to the rock. At the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer, as the people waited for God to move, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord fell upon a prophet and he began to speak the word of God, instructed the army to march against the invaders without fear, to take up their battle positions and watch the Lord fight their battles for them. And early the next morning, Jehoshaphat's army marched to battle, but in a surprising turn of events, as they marched against the greatest foe that they ever faced, the army was not led by mighty warriors and men of war. Instead, the army was led by worshipers, by men and women who sang praises unto God, who said, Lord, Our eye is not on our enemy. Our eye is not on our crisis. Our eye is not on the storm. Our eye is on you, God. And when we see you, we see your majesty. We see your glory. We see the beauty of your presence. We lift up your praise, God, for you are great and greatly to be praised. And the Bible says that as the enemy heard the army of Judah coming against them singing, They were thrown into confusion. The three armies began to fight amongst themselves and eventually they began to kill each other. And by the time Jehoshaphat's army reached the battlefield, there was not a single survivor among the enemy. Can I tell you something this afternoon? When you run to the rock, the rock runs to you. When you turn to him... He turns to you. I have a message for somebody in this house this afternoon. When you're overwhelmed, uh, you need to remember that God is control, in control of your life. Uh, there is no promise uh, that you'll never be overwhelmed. Uh, but there is a promise uh, that if you run to the rock, uh, you'll never be overcome. Uh, you'll never be defeated. Uh, you'll never go under for the last time. Today is the last Sunday of this year. And I don't know what next year will bring us. I don't know what surprises are just around the corner or what trouble or tragedy we may encounter. But I do know that God has a plan for this church. That God has a plan for every individual under the sound of my voice this afternoon. And I know with a certain assuredness that's built upon the Word of God, that no matter what tomorrow brings, He is the one that has promised He'll make all things work together for good. And I can think of no better way to close out the year of 2015 than by joining our voice with that of David and praying, Lord, lead me to the rock. Bring me back to you, God. Bring me back to your presence, Lord.
Bring me back to that, that place, Lord, where I put my faith and my confidence completely in you. Restore me, God, to a right relationship with you. Ignite again, God, a fresh passion for the presence of the Lord in my life. Stir up my heart. Stir up my mind. Let me remember once again that there is a rock that is higher than I am. Lead me to the rock. Would you stand with me? It does not matter today how far you may have drifted from God. It does not matter how much distance may have developed between you and God. One simple prayer. One earnest, heartfelt cry. Lead me to the rock. A million miles will fade away and the eternal presence of God can be made brand new in your life today. Lead me to the rock. Standing on the precipice of a brand new year, I want to start 2016 closer to God than I've ever been before. I want to start a new year with my faith fully invested in the one that is higher than I am. Let me invite you today. Would you take a moment on this Sunday afternoon and would you make the Lord your refuge? Would you take a moment today and would you turn your heart towards heaven? Let me invite you in this house right now to close out this year and embrace a brand new year with a simple, heartfelt, life-changing cry. Lead me to the rock. Bring me back to you, Lord. Renew my heart within me, God. Refresh my soul, Lord. Make everything brand new. Lead me to the rock. Would you come today? Would you turn your heart towards heaven and would you pledge to get closer to God than you've ever been before? If you're in a place of trial and tragedy, if you're, you're in a place where you're feeling overwhelmed, I, I hope you find today an answer. Amen. Lead me to the rock. Turn your heart to heaven. Turn your heart to Him. There is a rock that is higher than you are. There is a way that is above your ways. There are thoughts that are beyond your thoughts. And there is a God that is ready to be your strength, ready to be your refuge, ready to to be your shelter.